Hello, and welcome to this episode of the More Than Just a Type podcast. I'm so excited that you are here today. Has anyone else been feeling the big energies? Like, I don't know if you guys believe in this kind of stuff, but obviously I do because I'm always talking about it. But we had a major eclipse, um, I think it was like the end of May, and then one, I think it was like June 9th or 10th, and... If you don't know about eclipses, it's all like planetary stuff in the cosmos. I'm not an expert, but I do know that when it comes to eclipses, big changes happen and they are not changes where it's like you have a choice necessarily. Like maybe you have free will, but an eclipse will either eclipse things into your life, like you might get married or have a baby or find out you're pregnant or move to a new place or, you know, like big changes like that. Or things will get eclipsed out of your life. Like maybe you'll break up, you'll get divorced, you'll maybe move again somewhere else. You know, like big things will happen. And even if they seem negative, they're not necessarily negative. They're just changes that are necessary for your soul to really grow in and become and do what it is that you're meant to be doing in this lifetime. So even if they seem kind of or like really hard in the moment, everything is just happening for a reason. So you just kind of have to trust the path. Um, and I have been going through some some big changes, I feel like. Some of them internal, some of them not so much. I'm working through them right now, so I, I'm still <laughs> like not talking about it. But just really personal stuff has been going on and I'm back in Arizona and life has been, for the most part, it just feels like there's so much uncertainty. Um, but yeah, am I, like, how have you guys been feeling? <laughs> I would love to know. It's, yeah, it's been such a wild ride. And because the, it's so hot here in Arizona, I've been really upping my electrolyte game and I've felt so much better. And this isn't an ad. I'm just saying like I started taking liquid IV and I loved it, but liquid IV has carbs. So then I switched to this other brand called Element I think it's pronounced Element. They're a little expensive, but they taste pretty good. I actually mixed the lime flavor because it's kind of salty with some tequila last night and it was really good. But anyways, that's what I've been doing. It actually, it's the interesting how when you do stay hydrated, how much energy you have. Like it's it's just such a small thing that I feel like maybe we don't really think about, but especially as a person living with diabetes, sometimes it's, you know how sometimes your blood sugars will swing and it will cause you to maybe not have that much energy and then, you know, you might push yourself to work out or go for a walk and then that will give you another burst of energy. But if you are dehydrated on top of it, you're probably going to feel like a couch potato. So really making sure that you do stay hydrated can be so helpful. So I'm just kind of really getting into the electrolyte game right now because it is, it's like over 117 degrees here in Arizona. So I went from the humid weather in Costa Rica to very hot and dry here in Arizona. It's like a heat warning. So dehydration has really been something I'm 
I'm just, I'm, it's not going to happen. It happened to me before. It was not fun. So it's not going to happen this time. So that's what I've been doing. And if you are new here, I just want to welcome you. Welcome to this space. I started this podcast back in 2019. It was originally I had started a blog. It was all about fitness and diabetes. I started this blog back, I think it was like the beginning of 2017. And I started sharing my own fitness journey because it all started, well, I feel like for as long as I can remember, I was trying to get fit and I was doing all these things, but I really like dialed it in and figured out what was working back in 2015. And so I started sharing my journey because it was a lot to figure out living with diabetes and just learning how to navigate your fitness goals while also navigating a chronic illness. And so I was like, you know what? I can't be the only person who's struggling. Like there has to be other people too, because I was researching, I was trying to find all the information about like bodybuilding and what is it going to do to your blood sugars and all of that kind of stuff. And I could not find any information. And I found one person but it was a guy. And I'm like, well, I want to know what happens when I have my period and I'm trying to lift weights and my blood sugars are high, but you know, I'm trying to keep my blood sugars in the optimal range. And so it's like all of these different things that I was trying to figure out. And when I did figure them out through a lot of research, a lot of trial and error, I hired coaches myself. I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to share this journey. And so that's what started my um, my blog in the beginning. I started helping people and coaching p- other people living with diabetes to help them achieve their fitness goals, which has been so amazing. But then that's sort of how this podcast unfolded and how it was born. So I could share, continue sharing all of the tips and trips, tricks, <laughs> not trips, onto this podcast, and then invite wonderful and amazing guests onto this podcast to share their perspectives and their journeys because we all have a journey to share. And it's funny because sometimes I think, you know, what I'm doing today is just so not interesting, but you guys all are doing stuff that you probably feel like is the same, and yet I guarantee it's interesting and you do have a story. And so that's what really has been exciting me. And I'm so excited about this podcast today. I'm so excited to share it and to dive in. And before we do dive in, I just wanted to let you guys know that if you are on your own fitness journey and you're getting into the whole macro game, which is the amount of protein, fat, and carbs that your body needs individually in order to achieve your fitness goal, keep your blood sugar stable, you might be looking online, just as I was in the beginning of my own fitness journey, and you might be trying to figure it out. Now, there's a few different ways to figure out how many calories your body needs and what your macros should be, and I've said it before where... Often macro calculators are not going to be 100% accurate, but because I was in your shoes once before, I do know that it can be helpful just to have some sort of number or like estimated 
guide of what your macro should be. Now, I created this guide to do just that, to help you figure out an estimate for your calories daily, your macros every single day, and based on your fitness goals. And so, when you do if you are interested, when you do check out this calculator, it's going to give you a breakdown of like how to navigate this, doing it online, like figuring it out for yourself, why these calculators are not always 100% accurate and how to use it for your benefit to make sure that regardless of these numbers that you get, what it is that you really need to know and how to make it work for you. Um, And I think this is so important because your body is so individual. The amount of food your body needs is individual to you, to your fitness goals. There's no one size fits all approach. And so I really educate you. There's like this whole page when you put in your information. It's kind of like a little quiz. It gives you all the info because knowledge is power. It's what's helped me. It's what's given me the confidence to continue my fitness journey and not let outside influences get in my head because I know the science that backs up like what I'm doing. And so that's what I want to share with you. And so when you use this calculator, you'll get all of these, all of this info, and then you'll be able to calculate your macros and calories for weight loss. So in order to check out the calculator, just go to tajaketo.com forward slash calories and check it out. See how it resonates with you. And if you have questions about it, feel free to DM me on Instagram, let me know, or you can even email me. All of my info is in the show notes. All right. I'm so excited about this episode today. I'm so excited to share it with you and introduce Taylor Danielle to you. She is amazing. She is such a bright light. She is doing such amazing things within the diabetes community. She first reached out to me actually on Instagram through Diabetes Uncensored. So if you guys don't know what Diabetes Uncensored is, myself and my good friend Sarah, who's also living with type 1 diabetes, we've started this really fun movement where we chat about all of the stuff diabetes related that everybody goes through but nobody really likes to talk about. And so we do these weekly conversations. We're on Instagram, Diabetes Uncensored. That's uncensored with an S. And Taylor reached out and she was like, hey guys, want to come onto my podcast? And so we joined her on her podcast, which is Healing in Hindsight. And she just blew me away because she has a way with how she communicates that is so powerful. And she is beautiful. She has so much amazing information to share and so much wisdom. And not only that, but she is such a bright light and just, I'm so excited to continue following her and following her journey because honestly, it, our, after leaving the conversation on her podcast, I was like, she just has this way of lighting people up. And so I could see her on stage one day, like just sharing with the world all of her wisdom and people being like, wow, like I feel so good. So I, I'm so excited for this conversation today. And Taylor Danielle, she is 
Obviously a podcast host, Healing in Hindsight, and at the core, Taylor Daniel likes to think of herself as a creative force trying to make her own space. Nowadays, she hosts and facilitates conversations that ask us to go inward to understand our why. Such an important question. And from her podcast, Healing in Hindsight, I will link to that in the show notes, that focuses on the experience of being a millennial with diabetes to being your unapologetic self with her live stream show, Is There Room For Me? I will link all of these things in the show notes so you can check it out after you listen to this conversation today. And she has worked with health and wellness organizations like Beyond Type 1, Healthline.com, and the Almost 30 podcast. She is your tough love soundboard and motivation bestie. One thing that I really love about this conversation is her personal thoughts around body image, which we dive into. I think it's so important and just her perspective around everything is so, is just so amazing. So I'm really excited to share this episode with you. And if this episode today inspires you in some way, please do take a second to leave a five-star rating or review. Let me know what your biggest takeaway is or what you enjoy most about listening to this podcast. When you take the time to do that, it really helps this podcast out a lot. It makes it possible for other people to find the show and benefit from listening to this content as well. And if you've already taken a second to do so, thank you so much. You guys, your support means the world. All right, let's dive into this episode. I will see you on the other side. After our conversation with on your podcast, <laughs> I was just it I I just enjoyed it so much and I'm like one big thing that I took away from it was like I f- I feel like you have this ability to make people feel really comfortable in being their authentic selves and I think it takes someone who feels comfortable themselves to like hold space for that. So I was like, you know, and it's not very often that I, well, maybe it is, but not in my case where I like come across people who are like totally like that. So thank you for that. Thank you. That means yeah. a lot. Um, that, that lets me know I'm, I'm doing the right thing. Cause that's all that I really want people to feel. And I've, I remember those feelings of like being in circles and every now and then it still creeps up a little bit of like, okay, I'm sitting here and I'm trying to engage, you know, with the group or with people and it's not really clicking. Um, and I always think back to those moments of like, it's because I was trying to, to sit as someone that I wasn't. Mm -hmm. And instead of just allowing myself to be there and, you know, for them to absorb and, you know, appreciate or decide if it, you know, isn't a a good energetic fit. Um, you know, I I would try to mold myself to those situations and those surroundings. And so, um, now it's like, I'm, I'm such a huge advocate for being yourself because I've spent so much time hiding that. And then rediscovering that and then like having to to kind of, you know, I, I feel like life is a game, you know, where you're leveling up on the lessons that you learned. You don't get to learn one and be done with it, you know, for the rest of your life. Like it's going to keep hitting you with different challenges so you can, you know, face it in different ways. And yeah. so, um, yeah, it's it's tough, but I wouldn't have it any other way because I think I wouldn't have the type of connections that I have now yeah. um, if I didn't show people like this is me, you know, so. Totally. And it's so, it's so crazy how, I mean, just in our, and I was having this conversation with with my mom the other day, how like 
you know, from a young age, you're easily influenced. And then it's so easy to kind of like lose yourself in like your friends and just how you're conditioned. And then sometimes you have to like rediscover who you are at a later point. So yeah, yeah. I saw a meme about that once about um, your childhood isn't about discovering who you are. Um, your adulthood is about unlearning everything to discover who you are, something like that. It was really eloquent and it made a lot of sense because, you know, growing up, you're under the guidance of so many other people, right? Yeah. And so all you can do is follow what they say because you don't really have the ability or you, you know, at least the the know-how. I know plenty of people who at young ages were taking care of themselves, Mm -hmm. but for the most part, your understanding is these are the people that care for me. So I need to follow their guidance um, because I'm not old enough to make those discernments on my own. And, you know, also there's a legal ac- aspect of it. It's like, well, until you're 18, nobody pays attention to you, right? Yeah. Um, and so uh, I think that's very true of like, as you get older, that's when you truly discover yourself because you're taking all of the things in your environment as you were growing up and either applying it or deciding for yourself if that truly is how you want to be. Um, and so I appreciate my parents for, you know, instilling me to think for myself. And even uh, my dad, I remember one time, he was like, I'm going to get stuff wrong. And it it's a, takes a lot as a parent to admit that I'm wrong. Because as I was getting older, I was starting to challenge more. And it's just like, you know, actually, yeah, I was wrong for that. And my pride didn't want to let me let you do that. Because being a parent is just as much of a you know, authoritative title Mm -hmm. as things that you experience in adulthood. And I think a lot of people forget that. It's like, just because I'm your parent doesn't mean that like, I'm just supreme being over you. Yeah. It's more of like, it's my job to protect you and to teach you. And then you got to go about your way and figure it out for yourself. And so um, the unlearning part is, is jarring, but it's, I don't know, it's one of those challenges that you appreciate because it's like, Thanks to my environment, at least personally, uh, the unlearning isn't as rough as it might be for others. Mm -hmm. Um, And my parents are really respectful of that, you know, of like, hey, there's some things that my mom doesn't like, you know, in terms of how I say things, especially when it comes to spiritual stuff. (laughs) Is she spiritual? Yeah. Yeah. I grew up in a a very religious household, um, but not oppressive. Okay. In my opinion, you know, like um, we did the church thing um, and it's not that I'm not a believer in God, things like that. Um, I think just the literally religion in itself and the rules that it's kind of based upon and, you know, the the purity of what it was meant to be, you know, it, it was tainted. But that's because we're humans and there isn't a perfect way to build something. And that's why we see all these different religions, in my opinion, is that everybody wants to put their own take on it. And hell, there was what 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 king was that in Europe who made his own religion just so he could get out of divorcing? Because uh, he, you know, the the Catholic Church was like, nah, you can't divorce. I think it was Lutheran. I don't even know if I've heard one of about those. that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's one of the. Um, it was based off of you know uh, of the Catholic Church. I want to say it's Lutheran, um, but the king of it was, it was either England. My history is really rough, <laughs> but I know it was, it was a king in Europe. Yeah. who married um, married someone he didn't like her anymore. I think it was part of um, uh, because she couldn't produce an heir for him. And But the law says, you know, because that was when uh, religion and government were very tied together, that uh, they couldn't get a divorce. And so he was like, well, I'm the king. I can do what I want. So he created a, a whole separate religion that followed some of the same principles, um, but allowed him to get divorced so that he could. That's so funny. 
So like stuff like that where I'm like, okay, well, you know, it's clear that man um, can and will mess things up. It's more of the bounce back that we have to, um, I think, appreciate better. Mm -hmm. Um, And that religion, you know, has been taken so deeply out of context. And so I've personally separated myself from deep religion. Now, it's not to say that I don't appreciate the Bible. I mean, I've I've got, you know, uh, scriptures tattooed on me and things like that, because I think the core of it makes sense. Yeah. And I think that those who who go through it, um, there's messaging and principles and things for everybody. And to me, it's almost like um, a coded thing. Like when people take the Bible literal, it's just like, no, guys, <laughs> it's why do we read fairy tales? Because there's an underlining message that we're trying to um, portray for children, essentially to understand at their level. Um, and to me, the Bible, the, you know, the Torah, the Quran, all of that, they're all the same. You know, they're, they're valuable texts. Um, but we have to be able to take the time to dig deeper past than, you know, um, a lot of the just very strict stuff yeah. that comes with it. So, um, the church that I grew up in, uh, it's, it is a well-known church, but I do appreciate it because it was, it's non-denominational. Um, they don't pressure people into things. Um, you know, one of the main pastors there, like he studies it very well. And I do feel like he provides an educated spin on it. And I feel like I don't I don't leave the place judged. I leave the place like, okay, this is what I can take away with it, you know, kind of thing. And so yeah. even to this day, um, my dad sends me the recordings and I'll listen to it and take what I need from it and, and kind of go from there. But I'm not a dedicated, you know, I don't physically go into church anymore. Okay. Well, I don't know if a lot of people still do that. <laughs> but, you know, um, you know I, my spiritual walk is for me solo. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I can go to places. I know I can connect with different people to deepen that if I need clarity, but I don't run around throwing Bibles and scriptures at people. Um, I'm a firm believer that, you know, when it comes to my soul, that's the only one that I can atone for. I can't atone for other people's and how, you know, they go through life and how they deal, um, with their, you know, demons and things like it's, it truly is a solo walk. All mm-hmm. I can share is my perspective. And if you rock with it, great. And if you don't, that's cool too, you know, but don't make me feel bad. Yeah. And I think that's where um, a lot of strict religions get things a little mixed up mm-hmm. is they don't take in humanity. Um, I think that's what I appreciate about Buddhism. You know, I, I don't worship any of these like, you know, Roman, Egyptian, whatever God. Yeah. And Buddhists didn't even want to be a God. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like it's very, very well known. So I don't know how people still decided that Buddha is God, but it's like he didn't want to be that. Um, but you know, just like this non judgment, mm-hmm. you know, of, of walking through life and appreciating it, um, and and taking different lessons from it, and uh, deciding for yourself how you want to be and what you want to be for the world. And so, um, yeah, no religion for me. It's yeah. uh, yes, God, no religion. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I feel that I'm. I feel like I'm kind of the same. Like I've never been part of a religion but I am Mm -hmm. spiritual in the same kind of way where it's like I believe that there's a higher force but like I am not stuck in one way yeah (laughs) so yeah I think my mom worries because she thinks that it'll it'll sway me Mm -hmm. um and sometimes she feels like I don't give the right type of appreciation um like I don't refer to God as he Mm -hmm. ever like I stopped I dropped that I I didn't like that even as a kid like can we not yeah yeah you know well well before you know we started really um uh being conscious of of gender um you know and things like that but um i'm like if that's how you want to refer to it great but she doesn't like that i say universe because like well god created the universe i'm like that's cool 
But also, if God is everything, yeah, then why can't I see the universe? Like, yeah, <laughs> I know what I mean. I know where my heart is, you know. And so, yeah. so we've had like small rub ins with that, and you know, it's just been like okay. But I think where the, I see growth with her is like she just respects it. Like I don't like it, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, she can't be the one to worry about what it means for me. Like I know what I'm doing uh, for myself and and the things that I um, explore. You know, I used to be really cautious of like things like tarot and energy healing and crystals and all of that like I was you know because of my upbringing I was like oh no no yeah keep me out you know and it took stepping away from under my parents to see for myself do I absolutely believe in spirits and and people using them for absolute wrong totally you mm-hmm. know I, I do believe that people uh, can cause harm in that way but just like with any other person, you always have to think about what energy are they bringing? Um, what is their intention? Um, and protect yourself. Like yeah. my first tarot reading, I prayed over myself because at the end of the day, it was just like, I don't know what I'm stepping into and I'm trusting this person. Um, you know, and she was pretty powerful, like, you know, to, to protect me and to, you know, do good for me, mm-hmm. but I'm going to take it upon myself to also protect myself and yeah. to ensure that, I'm energetically sound with myself that I'm not welcoming in something that shouldn't be here. And so I think that is um, the bigger thing is like, just be cautious. Yeah. Doesn't mean you can't explore, you know? Yeah. And that's nice that your mom, at least like she respects, because I feel like so often people who don't understand, they just won't even go to that place of being able to be like, okay, I don't fully understand that, but I respect it anyways. Right. So that's nice. Yeah. It's uh, it's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so, are both your parents diabetic? Yeah, both of them. Both of them are type two. My mom was first, um, and I was probably around nine or ten ish, like getting mm-hmm. into the the preteen years. Um, and I didn't quite, I didn't really know what was going on. Yeah. All I knew is there was like sugar free everything, and peanut butter and jelly tasted weird now. And, you know, it was just kind of like, okay, like if I get anything from my, it's got to be sugar free. Mm -hmm. That's all I knew, you know? And then as I got older, um, you know, I feel like maybe my dad, I never, I think I asked him and I just keep forgetting, but I think he was diagnosed when I was in late high school or leaving high school, somewhere in that, because I just noticed that he was taking a lot of medication Mm -hmm. um, and vitamins and all that stuff like that. And I'm like, all right, are you just like on a health kick? Or are you just trying to, you know, get back and say, what's up? He's like, no, I'm, I got diabetes. I was like, oh, I mean, I wasn't expecting an announcement. Sure. Like nobody wants to come home and throw a party and say I'm a diabetic, but <laughs> you know, like, okay. Yeah. Uh, you know? So, um, it was interesting to, to know that. And then it kind of dawned on me like, okay, mom, check dad, check. Hey mom. Is, is diabetes a thing? Oh, yeah. It's all up and down the uh, the side of the family. Oh, okay. Cool. Um, and then I learned that my grandmother on my dad's side is also diabetic as mm-hmm. well. And I'm like, hmm. Okay. So, shot in the dark here. This might be a genetic thing. And I should probably pay attention to that because mm-hmm. – and this is before I knew anything about, like, Modi, anything like that. I just knew, like – you know, usually they ask you when you go to your doctor's appointments, you know, did your family have a history of heart disease and things like that? But actually, no one's ever asked me diabetes, which I find interesting now that I think about it. Yeah, um, it's a huge thing that so many people have and are living yeah, with. Yeah. 
So I sat down with my dad uh, one time when I was home. Um, you know, I'd, I'd already been living in Austin at one point. It was like 2014-ish. And I asked him, I said, how did you know? And he broke down all the symptoms, like, you know, your eyes uh, watering randomly because your body's just trying to expel as much sugar as possible through any way possible. So mm-hmm. going to the bathroom a lot, you know, uh, you're drinking a lot of water, all these kind of stuff. He's like, sometimes you just feel so sluggish, like you've got literally molasses in your veins and you're just tired and, and all that kind of stuff. And so I'm like, okay. And I spent the year prior to my diagnosis actually trying to get healthy to prevent it. Mm -hmm. Now, my bigger drive was, you know, I was trying to have high girl summer. Every summer I was 25 when I was diagnosed. So I'm like, oh, I'm doing this because I want to be, you know, I want to look this way and I want to feel this way. And um, even though I was dating somebody, you know, I felt like I even had these moments with my current partner. It's like, I felt like I didn't match them. Mm-hmm. Um, cause he was like this basketball build, like no fat whatsoever on yeah. this man's body. Even my current partner, like, I'm like, I don't know. Why do I get the fat for you guys? I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. Like I've dated other guys that don't have the same, you know, body build, but for the most part, I've, I've just happened to gravitate towards really naturally fit men. Yeah. And I was shocked that they liked me back <laughs> because <laughs> I had a lot of times where I felt like men weren't attracted to me. Yeah. Um, And so I'm like, oh, it's because I'm not fitting this beauty standard. And, you know, so you go down the rabbit hole of like, all right, I'm going to straighten my hair and or I'm going to do the the weaves and the wigs. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to try to slave away at the gym and eat as little as possible and and all those things um, to be appealing, Mm -hmm. you know, for a partner. Because, you know, we grew up as women like it's it's all about finding a man. Yeah. No, it's not. But (laughs) that's what it was at the time. So, yeah, and um, it's interesting that the year before I'm trying to prevent this diagnosis, I'm at my heaviest. Um, And, you know, November of 2015, I started fainting. I started having, um, you know, going to the bathroom all the time. I couldn't sleep through the night. I had to keep a water bottle under my pillow because I would dry out so bad it woke me up out of my sleep. And I would just chug water. Um, you know, I, my eyes would randomly leak, uh, for no reason. Um, I didn't have any nerve stuff. You know, I've heard people talk about like tingling their fingers, mm-hmm. stuff like that. I didn't have those issues. Um, but definitely the frequent urination and, and fainting. Um, and so it took one good, uh, one good fall in the shower, um, and waking up, you know, wet, naked and confused, like what just happened and a nice nod on my head of like, okay, I should probably go to the doctor. Um, and so, yeah, it, it just all started with, learning that not only do both my parents have type two, but it's, it seems to be prevalent, Mm -hmm. um, higher up in my family. And so when, you know, you kind of feel like I'm doing myself a disservice if I don't go find out. Cause I even got tested the year prior and I was fine. Yeah. You know? And so it's, uh, it's interesting to kind of like sit here and be like, you know, I tried really hard. I I didn't try hard. I tried to follow, a trend Mm -hmm. to prevent something (laughs) and it clearly didn't work. Um, and, and that's okay. Yeah. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now, but it was, uh, it was interesting to learn that like my family's got a kind of deep history with them. Yeah. And did your, did you share like all the symptoms with your parents? Like how long were you having them before you're like, okay, before you fainted in the shower, which is so scary. Um, I don't think I did actually. Now that I'm thinking about it, I, I remember when I told them, um, that I was going to go to the doctor for it. Mm-hmm. And I think then that might've been like, you know, I'm, I'm experiencing things, you yeah. know, I, I don't recall directly 
saying to them leading up to it um, that I, you know, was struggling with it. I do remember Googling the symptoms. Yeah. And when I did that, the conversation with my dad came flooding back to me. And that's when I was like, oh, okay, I need to go get checked again because this is what I'm experiencing. And so when I did go get confirmation from the doctor, um, you know, I told them before I was going in and then right after, and I actually talked to my dad on the way to the pharmacy to get my first round of metformin, which is what they put me on. Um, and he's, he's laying it all out for me, you know, what metformin does, how it makes you feel sometimes, some, you know, unnecessary details too. But, you know, for the most part, he's like laying out what I can expect. Mm -hmm. And it was helpful, you know, um, because I really didn't know what I was walking into. And so to know that your parents um, have that experience and kind of can can guide you a little bit was cool. But they also weren't living the way that I was living at 25. They had me and my sister, you yeah. know, at 25 at that time. So um, their family dynamic, their whole setup was different. You know, they yeah. didn't have an apartment by themselves, um, you know, individually and, and doing the work thing and partying and all that kind of stuff like that. They had, you know, two kids, kids. to k- take care of. So um, it was a lot different. Yeah, that's it's crazy because I know that type one and type that I will. What I've heard is that they're completely different, but I'm sure they have similarities because why wouldn't they? <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting yeah. because my cousin, her husband, t- has type two diabetes, and he is so fit. I mean, they're like in their fifties, but mm-hmm. he's so fit and takes care of himself, and it's like a hundred percent genetic, like. And he's like – he started taking insulin because he was on some trial to like keep his blood sugars in a certain range. So he was on insulin. Um, but yeah, it was type 2 and I remember being – and then that was the first moment that I was like, wow, like there's so much that I don't even know about type 2 because mm. the, one of the misconceptions with type 1 like has to do with diet and exor- and you know exercise being type 2. But there's so many – and I think that to me (laughs) was like the biggest thing where then I started being like, you know, if someone said something about type 2, I'm like, no, 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 Like there's, you know, so much more. It's not just based on these things. But um, did you find that at the beginning like was it – or because you had – I mean both your parents were diabetic. So I don't know. But did you still find that people would have misconceptions and bring up all of these things that – like even I believed at one point when I didn't know. Yeah. It's so, and that's partially why I kind of stayed quiet about it mm-hmm. for the first couple of years. I was, I was halfway in denial, but one thing that you see in the type two community um, or, or in the, you know, the diabetic space where we're um, oral medication based yeah, is that, Oh, just take the pill and you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it doesn't seem as drastic um, as, you know, I need to manually put into my body a hormone that I can't produce. Right. And so that's when you start to get the stigmas of, oh, we'll just lose the weight, you know, or, oh, well, you did it to yourself. You know, like if had you just ate right and exercised, you wouldn't be here now. Mm -hmm. You know, can I attest that? Yes, I was at my heaviest of 215. Sure. Um, you know, I understand, uh, just from time and experience that, more fat means more insulin resistance. Sure. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think there's a lot of emphasis on, you know, it's, it's other people's fault 
Yeah. Um, I don't think that my diabetes is necessarily my fault. Could I have made better choices? Sure. Mm-hmm. But there's no way to go back in time and tell of like, would that have changed anything? Yeah. Because I do have a, you know, a, a kind of sense, it seems like a deep genetic factor. It could yeah. have still came on. And it's just like, hey, your body's just naturally starting to be resistant to insulin. I could have been doing everything right. Maybe. We'll never know. Yeah. But I think that's the um, the things that would pop up of like, oh, well, all you have to do is lose weight. And that was my that was my goal. I was like, I'm going to reverse this. This yeah. is possible. You know, like all I need to do is get in shape. But it just drove me into more yo-yo dieting, more mm-hmm. wasting money on guides and all these things because I didn't have me right you know, yeah. to, to have the discipline and the consistency. And so you did kind of start to see things with, um, you know, friends, not my super close friends. I know that they meant it with good intention, but like, should you be eating that? Hmm. You know, um, did you take your meds? Um, do you have your meds? Should you be drinking on your meds? Cause I did that a lot. Don't do that. <laughs> and you know, like, like stuff like that, where it was more concern than anything. Um, and just me feeling really insecure about it and, yeah. and kind of um, closing myself off because it's like, well, you don't know, you don't understand. Like, how mm-hmm. can you say that to me? And it's just like, no, they probably needed to say it to me because uh, I wasn't taking care of myself. Yeah. Um, so you do see that a lot where, you know, you hear people say things. Uh, I even heard in a clubhouse room, you know, with a medical professional who was like, um, let's face it, type two is a series of bad decisions and here you are. And it was just like. But it's. <sighs> yeah. Not like like, no, and I'm like, you know, we if we want to get on the food train, what about the marginalized communities that are in food deserts that don't have access to a whole foods, which takes your whole check in order to get the stuff that you need for that, or you know, you can't get like Thrive Market delivered, and Mm -hmm. even if you could, the cost is so high, you know, that people who are living off of minimum wage and a lot of folks unemployment right now, they can't afford to do that. So all they can do is go for the cheap quality. Um, that's just as crappy as eating dirt, in my opinion. And yeah. so how can you condemn people and you don't know their the context of their situation? You know, yeah. I think that's the part we have to look at deeply is what are people's situation? Can I personally say that my lifestyle added to exasperating or, or speeding up the process for me? Yeah. I was still drinking those big old jugs of Hawaiian punch like we did back in college. And I'm an adult you know, with a full on job and I can afford to get higher quality juice and stuff like that. You know, my partner uh, at the time would eat frozen everything and it wasn't even vegetable stuff. If he said salad, he would probably gag because all he knew was canned green beans and corn and, you know, frozen chicken nuggets and pizza and stuff Mm -hmm. like that all the time. So it's just like, yeah, there was a, a good chunk of my life where I was eating like crap. And with all of the stuff that's put in, lower quality food, of course, of course, you know, people are ending up with these conditions and they're just literally trying to survive. Um, and I think that's where, you know, things like the the food industry has to take a little bit more responsibility too, because it's like, you're putting things in our food that is literally banned in other parts of the world because of what it can do to people. Yeah. And instead you're just saying, oh, we'll just eat like this. Oh, well, let's flip the food triangle 50 different ways. And that'll solve it. She's like, no, how about stop putting shitty stuff in our food? Yeah. That might help you know so it's a lot such a good point and it's like do you ever think that they will like the food industry like they make so much well pharmaceuticals on us (laughs) so it's like do you think that they'll ever 
switch that and be like, okay, like this is the nutrition because some of it is so outdated. Like when you go to see your endo, have you ever been sitting there and been looking at like the stuff and felt that way? (laughs) So um, I'm new to the the endocrinology life. Um, I actually have an appointment this month. Uh, It'll be only my third one. I I didn't know that uh, the endocrinologist was the person to go see. Okay. Um, So for the last five years, it's been me and my primary. Yeah. Um, And it's from hanging out with with other uh, diabetics. I'm like, you know, I'm hearing a lot of, you know, insulin dependent diabetics like, oh, yeah, I'm an endocrinologist. I'm like, am I I supposed (laughs) to go talk to them? And they're like, yeah, they're like the diabetes person. They're the diabetes person. I was like, oh, I didn't know that. Nobody told me that. Like, my primary just said, take these pills and go, wow. you know? So I, I do feel like, um, there is a lot of outdated, not only information, but just structural setups. Yeah. And, you know, I have heard, um, certain doctors say like more primary care or general physicians are having to take on diabetes because endocrinologists are overwhelmed mm-hmm. right now. Like, like almost like there's a shortage because of the uptick uh, in diabetes, but even still there's not pressure to continue to educate and to stay informed. Yeah. And I feel like that's the part where, yeah, I think um, the food industry, the pharmaceutical industry, um, and our healthcare system are all in bed together because it's like, it's a rotating cycle that keeps everybody's pockets lined. Yeah. And it's at the expense of real people. And that's the part where I'm like, is money really that important? So where you're willing to bet people's lives on it and then make them feel shitty about themselves and blame them and shame them that they're the reason why they're in the condition that they are. Yeah. And and then you kind of get the, you know, I'll, I'll say it, you get kind of the self-development and wellness culture that kind of picks up on that and it gets to ride on that back. Yeah. And it makes it hard for people like us to kind of navigate in that space because it's like, we're trying to be authentic here and y'all are all just patting each other on the back and causing so much harm. Yeah. And so, I mean, I would hope and I think it, it just takes a lot of um, initiative and, uh, you know, probably going to take some money too, you know, to get people to wake up um, to see that, like, some of these industries just aren't it. There's a, what is what is the farm? Taylor's Farms. Man, every time I see that packaging, I'm like, where's my check? Because what is Taylor Farms? Is- and <laughs> so <laughs> they're just a, a well-known company that produces meat in different, you know, grocery stuff and, okay. um, you know, like Hill Country um, they're another another big brand that I see in grocery stores all the time, and they're usually really cheap, mm-hmm. you know. And so then you go and you look at the ingredients, and you're just like, "Yeah, yes, I, I am paying three more dollars for this because, you know, I think there's a point in history where we wanted the convenience, but we still had quality, mm-hmm. you know. And and although we're not uh, the agricultural you know, a community like we used to be where everybody kind of grew their own. And if you specialize in this and you would barter and you trade, whatever. Um, After I'd say probably in the 1950s, after the war, it was just like, oh, well, we were making all these convenient gadgets to make our livelihoods better. And women are in the workforce now. And, you know, who has time to go to work and then come home and cook a full meal? So how can we use science to uh, make things faster? And it's like, I appreciate the drive and the initiative yeah, but when 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 things started getting weird, when people started having all these conditions, it's like, why can't we just say stop? And yeah. it's just because money talks. Um, and so when we put value uh, over stuff instead of quality of life, you know, here we are. Um, whereas you see some of our 
and we're a young country. So you see some of our counterparts in other areas where they're still getting, you know, high quality for cheap, you know, food um, and are really pushing for their systems to ban ingredients that we know, you know, is just absolute crap. Um, I think it just, it's going to take time because we're so young still and, um, you know, we're, we're the cowboys of the world. And so we want to do what we want to do and, and try different things. And so, um, I think it's just doing your own research and, and exposure to like, see like, how can I affect change in small ways that doesn't leave me in a bad position, you know, cause there've definitely been days where I'm like, I need to get groceries and I've only got like 50 bucks. Mm-hmm. And I know that if I go to Whole Foods, I'm going to spend that $50 on three things. Yeah. And it's just like. But I want to live. I know. But I want to. I want to have quality. You know. I want to make sure I'm. I'm putting stuff in my body that's good for me. But dang, even the produce, I got to be careful about. You know. And so it's. It's just. It's tough. It's tough. Which is why I want a homestead. Yeah. Try yeah. To grow my own shit. I would love that too. <laughs> Dude, seriously, like, can't wait for the day to get out of an apartment and just yeah. have even just a small plot of land. You know. Yeah. I'm just like, how can I cut this down because. Um, we're losing that art. We're losing yeah. that touch of, of creating our own stuff. And I'm all for convenience. Don't get me wrong. But um, if it costs me my body and I only get one that mm-hmm. I'm aware of, like, it ain't worth it, you know. So it's it's, it's really hard. And um, with the hustle culture that we have and, and with the dynamics of family and stuff that we have, um, you know, it, it's tough. And that's why I, th- I think it's funny how older generations are looking at us like, why aren't y'all having kids? Yeah. Like, uh, excuse me, excuse me. Um, <laughs> people freaked out over toilet paper. Yeah, and diapers ain't cheap. And so you want me to pop our kids when y'all don't know how to share? Nah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's good. so interesting how things have. I mean, just changed since like our parents' generation. Yeah, but it's been a huge shift. Huge shift. Yeah. How for okay, so for like because you've been able to lower your A1C, right? And like been mm-hmm. on that journey. And I would love to like know your secrets. But also how has like how you manage diabetes, how is that different from your parents? And like cause I so I'm the only one with diabetes in my family. Mm-hmm. So I I mean, I'm just trying to picture what it would be like to have someone in my immediate family that has also had that experience because I imagine it would be amazing, but then also maybe kind of challenging because maybe how you do things are going to be different, right? Yeah. So has that been a factor just for your own personal experience? Yeah. So I will say that my my initial drive to when I was like gung-ho reverse was yeah. also for my dad. Yeah. Um, you know, me and my dad are really close and we have similar mindsets than like me and my mom. Mm-hmm. Um and so I recognize that, you know, for us, it's not that we don't know. It's flipping the switch to do, yeah. right? My mom, for her, she, you know, in a way was threatened with insulin. Mm. Like, it's a bad thing, right? So when her doctors told her, if you don't turn things around, we're going to have to put you on insulin, that was her trigger. Okay. And so she, she, you know, she's always been really disciplined. I mean, you know, Air Force family background. So like my mom has always kind of had this um, unique militant like thing. Like she's going to do what she's got to do. Yeah. Um, and she'll stay on top of it, you know. And so that pushed her. 
and she got her diet in check and came off over half her meds, you know, um, and, you know, by the next time that she got tested. Um, I'm not sure what that looks like now, but I will say, you know, from from what I recall in my younger years, I feel like my mom is actually the healthiest that she's been. She got in the gym and she looks great. Like yeah. I'm looking at 53, like I'm about to be fine. Like, yeah. <laughs> ooh, you know, so it's like, you know, I, I can see that. And even though there are, you know, she and I have talked about some struggles that she was having, it's more so for her advocating for herself mm-hmm. um, because she's getting lectures from doctors that aren't even who don't even get a say in her, her diabetes treatment. You know, they're just like, Oh, you're diabetic. Oh my God, you need to do this. It's just like, uh, mm-hmm. mom, see this. Yeah. Shut that down. Cause they overwhelm her and she's yeah. like, just do what you got to do, you know? Um, and so that's, that's one thing that I will say I've, I've taken away uh, from her, but for my dad, it's like, I need to prove to him that it can be done. Yeah. I need to show him that it can be done because, um, you know, he's at a stressful job and he's raised two kids. And, you know, I think a lot of our parents, like they look back on themselves in their younger years and it's like, they used to be really small and really fit and all these things and their bodies have completely changed and they're doing these things. And, you know, it's hard. Um, and, you know, I remember one time my dad actually got in a fight and he's like, I'm 50. I don't give a shit what anybody says anymore. Like, you know, like just this attitude of like, haven't I done enough? Can I just like chill? What if I want to sit, be fat and be happy? You yeah. know what I mean? And so um, there's a, a piece that I feel like it's almost my responsibility to to prove to them that they can still do it, you know, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched my dad get his bachelor's degree, you know, at 48. Um, and here I am sitting without mine, you know, and, mm-hmm. and it's like, hey, you know, he just showed me that if I feel like it and I really want to do it, it does not matter when I can do it, you know, and it's kind of like, I want to do the same, but I will say from what I've observed on my dad's journey, um, you know, his was just a a combination of just stress and travel. Mm -hmm. You know, my parents do travel a lot and wanting to enjoy vacations. And, um, sometimes you get so caught up in things that by the time that you're like, Oh, okay, I finally have a breathing point to get a handle on this it caught up to him. And so he did get put on insulin. Yeah. Um, and he's also taking a Trulicity shot. Um, What's that? So uh, I, t- I also take something similar. Okay. My, mine's called Ozampic. But it's basically just a liquid-based medication that they put in a pen. Looks mm-hmm. just like an insulin pen, actually. Yeah. Um, and it's to help with, you know, uh, you know weight loss or in, and lowering your A1C, things like that. I don't know the specifics of how Trulicity does it. I know for mine, Ozampic, it helps with flushing things out of your system. Um, and then as well as like, uh, it does have like a, an appetite curbing mm-hmm. thing to kind of help you get a handle on, on controlling your eating. Um, I feel like uh, I've my, heard my, of Ozampic. I think I've mm-hmm. heard of type ones actually taking it, but I don't know much mm-hmm. about it. They're, they're actually kind of a, it's, it's interesting because even my endocrinologist has taken it several okay. times and he's like, it's more on the weight loss side mm-hmm. than it is the, um, the diabetes side, but it does have elements within the medication that can help lower your blood sugar. Um, but it's it's more driven towards weight loss. And and I think when I last saw him, he was like that they're trying to possibly re repurpose it for that. Because when he told me that he took it several times and he's skinny, like he's tall, skinny dude, I'm like, yeah, really? You know, um, it did alarm me because my, my reaction to it was like, I'm not hungry at all. Yeah. And that freaks me out because I'm like, okay, if I'm supposed to eat, I don't want food to feel like a chore. Yeah. You know, but at the same time, I do recognize like, 
the mindless snacking and things that I, you know, had a habit of doing. Um, now, uh, because I was off of it for about a month um, while my insurance was changing, and now I'm back on it, and I'm aware, I've gotten a better handle on, I'm able to eat, you know, I'm, I'm able to really tune into my body and think about those windows where I'm like, oh, I'm actually hungry. Mm-hmm. Like, go ahead now while you feel it, yeah. <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it's, it's something like that. Trilicity is, is very similar. Okay. Um, and so, uh, you know, but he does have to still take um, a couple of pills and then his Trulicity shot once a week mm-hmm. um, and then his insulin. I think I think I've seen him do an injection like once a day Okay. when I have been around him. Yeah. Um, but you know, he's lost a lot of weight and I think his insulin has already been uh, adjusted back down. And so, you know, for him, it's, I saw him start to really take initiative by like, I'm going to do what my doctor says, because at the end of the day, I didn't go to school to learn all of that, but I'm going to get second opinions. And so I know that there was a doctor in Atlanta that he got a bunch of blood work done and then had it sent over to her to give a full lineup of like, what are you deficient in? What do you need? What do you don't need? You know, that kind of stuff. And that's really helped him to create a plan that works around himself, Mm -hmm. you know, where he's not depriving himself, but he's also cognizant of, okay, I need to get out and move more. Okay. I can do this or, okay. Hey, you know, um, I think he was kind of doing the macro thing for a minute. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's like, okay, well, yeah, maybe I can have a little drink here and there or whatever. Um, you know, okay, here are the type of snacks that I should, you know, invest in or whatever. Um, and so even those small swaps, I feel like speaks volumes of him being able to take charge of his health in a way that doesn't drastically rattle things. And and I will say on, on his side of the family, we have family members that like, they're the radical health people and, you know, they don't have what we have and it makes sense. Uh, but it's just like scare tactics don't do it for him like that. Yeah. And so it's like, I need to be able to follow something that doesn't make it feel like I'm having to change everything. Okay. Well, my CGM goes <laughs> off. <laughs> um, and so like, it's, it's one of those interesting things where I'm proud of him for yeah. sure of like finding his groove and finding ways. And sometimes I even feel like, having him on you know because he was my he was my season finale guest in season one which is really cool um but having him be a part of the show and like kind of you know my team member if you will is another indirect thing Mm -hmm. of like we're on a mission you know and although he might not be doing anything in the forefront um by supporting me it's still supporting the cause and so um yeah, I hope that answered your question it's kind of a a multitude of things that I saw um with both of my parents but yeah, my mom, it, they definitely kind of scared her into getting yeah. together. And I, I don't fully agree with that. I don't feel like anybody should feel like a medication regimen is a, uh, what was it, um, a punishment. Yeah. You know, when my uh, doctor scrapped or my endocrinologist scrapped my entire me- medication yeah. regimen, um, it bothered me a little bit because it was very weight-centric. Mm. And he was like, drop 40 pounds. And then let's work you off the medication. I, he does believe that I can manage my diabetes holistically. And that's what I would like to do. Yeah. Um, but it scared me at first. Because I'm like, you're telling a woman who's already dealt with all the body image issues, things yeah. and gotten to this place. And now I medically need to drop 40 pounds. And you're throwing the BMI at me and all this stuff. Now I did slightly ask for it. But I didn't think he was going to come that hard. Yeah. <laughs> but it was just like, I don't know what a healthy weight looks like for me. Because I feel fine in the body that I'm in. Yeah. And I feel great in it. And I've worked really hard to appreciate it. But. 
I don't want to get to a space where I'm, my life becomes more about maintenance than just living it, mm-hmm. you know? And so that's, I'm like, all right, I know I ain't supposed to be 200 pounds, but 130 pounds, that, I just can't see it. Like I haven't been that small since high school. Yeah. Um, and I was playing volleyball and soccer. So I was just like, uh, I'm not doing that anymore. So where's, where's the happy middle for me? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like it's, um, it's been interesting having that conversation with my parents and, mm-hmm. and I will say it's helpful because we're, we're literally all on different things. Yeah. Like all of us. And so I think it just speaks to like, no one thing will ever be the same. Yeah. You just have to kind of, um, go with it, but it's, it is kind of cool to compare notes. That's yeah. I, I will say one time I ran out of metformin and- <laughs> while I was out of town <laughs> and I was like, Oh crap. I ran out. You got some, can I have some? Yeah. What, how many milligrams? Is- all right, cool. You know, so that, that I will say that is the yeah. one thing that was kind of cool. It's like, when in doubt, you know, you have some parents got my back. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, what about, so I would love, cause I remember like when we were talking on your podcast, you mentioned just the whole journey with body image, which I think is such an important topic because as women and probably even guys too, but like, mm-hmm. I feel like every, everyone has felt insecure at some point or like dealt with body issue stuff. And even it's so interesting because when I was living in LA, there was this girl who I was friends with and she, you know, she was doing modeling. She was tall, like slim as can be. And I would look at her. This is like during the time that I was trying to lose weight and I would look at her and be like, damn, like, why can't I look like that? But she was sharing with me. She's like, she's like, I'm so insecure about my body because for my whole life, people have said I'm too skinny. And so she's like, like it just kind of, and then it was just this switch of like, we all want to change something. <laughs> we all yeah, go through it in yeah. a different way. So what was that like for you? And, you know. Ooh, it was a long, long journey. It still is. I don't, yeah. I don't think it'll kind of fully end because, you know, our bodies change as we age, our bodies mm-hmm. change as we, you know, if we decide to have families, all of that. Um, so I think it's kind of just building a foundation of support for myself to get there. But, you know, I've never – really consider myself small. Yeah. Um, and uh, especially as a woman, when you're not developing in ways that you like to um, and your childhood kind of, you know, rolls up and, you know, so like I'm not very developed up top. And so that was a huge factor. That was a huge part of my life actually for the longest of like, I just want some freaking boobs. Everybody's got boobs with me. This would be great. Can I just have boobs? Can I just yeah. fill out a shirt? Can I just, you know, that'd be nice. Um, because I'm, I'm, curvy everywhere else. And it just doesn't make sense, you mm-hmm. know? And I literally had a family member, a female family member tell me like, oh my God, her body looks lost. Oh my like, God. I was 16. I was 16. And I was, you know, losing a lot of, a lot of the, the kid weight, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, you know, coming into, into my shape, boys were paying attention to me. So I'm like, I'm cute finally. Yay. Yeah. You know, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, did the braces thing for a minute, you know, all of that. And so just to finally like get to a place where you feel feminine, despite seeing, you know, everyone else sprout around you, you're just like, okay, I'm here. I can, I can, you know, I'm worthy. Right. Mm-hmm. And then someone says that and you're just like, and then you go run and look in the mirror and you're like, it does. Like, oh my God, my totally top half doesn't match my bottom half. And it looks like you could pop my head off and put it on a mannequin somewhere or whatever. Like, you know, you just start to tear mm-hmm. yourself down. And so it took a long time to sort through that because 
I started noticing patterns in myself of like, okay, well, if I can't be the physically attractive friend, then I'll be the, you know, everyone's favorite uh, sidekick best friend that you see in movies. You know, I'll I'll be that person, you know, Um, I'll be um, the guy's girl, you know, where like nobody sees me like that, you know, even though I might be crushing on half of them, like, you know, whatever. Um, I'll just be the person that's always helpful, always supportive, always there for other people. I won't take care of myself. It's fine. And so going into college um, and college, you know, I did kind of feel good at where I was. Um, And even when I look back at those pictures, I'm like, I truly thought I was fat. I really thought that I was just God. And I'm like, ah, geez, if only I knew. If only I knew. That's so – isn't that so interesting how – because I do that too in those Mm -hmm. years where you're like so insecure – like I remember looking back at pictures where I didn't even want to wear a bathing suit in front of people and I'm like, you looked fine. Like you look yeah. amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's crazy. And, you know, granted, I, I think – I know they say for women we we mature faster and we develop faster and all these other things. But it, I think it really is just unique. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now have I thought about body modification? Yeah. Um, would I still do it if I had the opportunity? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But – it's from a place that's completely different of like, I don't want to have kids to mm-hmm. see myself. You know, that was my mom's answer. Oh, we'll just have babies and you'll have boobs because that's what happened for her. But I'm yeah. Like, you're the skinny, petite Asian lady. Like, yeah. You know, not to lean on the stereotype, but you're kind of the stereotype in front of me right now. So what? You know, so yeah. I don't have that same, you know, thing. Um, and so it was always funny because she would laugh at me. And yet tell me not to like buy super padded bras. And like she'd poke at me, literally poke at me and be like, what's this? What's all that? I'm like, I'm sorry. Not everybody can, you know, have C's like you. So the rest of us who need to fill out a shirt because my arms are big, but the chest area isn't. And I don't want like my shirt falling down, basically. Like I kind of need something, you know. And so even those small things just added to that pressure of like, I'm not a woman. I'm not a woman because I don't have all these things, you know? And uh, now I'm very proud of my legs. I worked mm-hmm. very hard on them. <laughs> Years of volleyball and soccer have yeah. left me well endowed there. I wouldn't change a damn thing. But, you know, that's not what people saw at the time. What people saw was like, if you didn't have breasts that were ample, you weren't a woman. Mm-hmm. You were just a fun time for a night. You know, you weren't the marrying type, you know? And so um, it really took me going through even relationships that showed me that I had to want better for myself. Mm -hmm. It took me being in friendships where one of my best friends, we call it sleepy dust because she will walk in a room or, you know, we'll go somewhere and it's just like, and everybody's paying attention to her and she doesn't want to be bothered by anybody. That's the funny part. She doesn't want to be bothered. She don't want anybody coming up to her. None of that. And people are just gravitating to her. And on top of that, she's gorgeous. And on top of that, she has a great figure and all that Mm -hmm. stuff like that. But even being around people who just have such a deep confidence for themselves. Mm -hmm. One of my best friends, uh, my other best friends, like she thinks that she's a stick basically, you know, and that she doesn't have the the super defined curves, but she has this really big personality. And it's just like, I've been given examples of how to just be so comfortable with yourself mm-hmm. that that's not what people are paying attention to. Yeah. And so um, I think that's kind of where it started is, okay, well, what, what would, what would she do? 
or what, how would she act? Mm-hmm. And then I had to start to let that go a bit because I'm like, okay, I know, you know, uh, what do they say? Um, you know, copying somebody is like the biggest form of flattery. Yeah. But it, it made me lose who I was. Mm-hmm. Add on top of that, I was trying to be the aggressive, cold hearted, you know, love is stupid. Don't, you know, F feelings, all of that. Yeah. I, was, I definitely went through that phase and it made me lose touch with like being sensitive and mm-hmm. being emotional and being okay being emotional. But I had been in so many relationships where they were like, oh, stop crying. Oh, stop doing this, you know? And so I'd say probably in my late twenties was when I started to gain different friendships where people were just themselves. And it was so amazing to see of like, you know, and, and what I would say like odd pairings or what we would deem in society as odd pairings. Mm-hmm. But to see two people love each other and it's like, they don't even see that. And what they see is that they just love who they are exactly as they are. I want that, you know? Yeah. And it challenged me. It was like, okay, well, you got to start to get over some stuff or you got to start to take some risk. You know, you got to start to not worry about if you get dressed up just to run some errands because it makes you feel good. You know, you, you know how, how culture with women are sometimes yeah. like, why is she dressed like that? Well, she need eyelashes on just to go to the store for it. You know, mm-hmm. I grew up with those type of women too. Yeah. And just having to shed off all of that. And, you know, I'd say within the last two years, that really was brought out of me because I decided to truly invest in myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I got with the sensuality coach and she really helped me reconnect with my body. She really helped me appreciate where I'm at right now. And she's like, there's nothing wrong with wanting to adorn yourself. If you want to glam it up, glam it down, whatever. Yeah. There's nothing wrong if you want to change parts of your body. But do you feel good about you? Can you feel good about where you've come? How far your body has brought you? Um, you know, all the things that it will continue to do for you, despite how you change it. And it changed my whole outlook. I yeah. could have sworn by 21, I would have had the boobs done by now. And then I realized they cost a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> even now, I'm just like, if I have the opportunity, I don't even want implants. I just want a fat transfer. Yeah. Because, A, what woman has not dreamed of being able to just mold like Play-Doh stuff yeah, where you right? want it to go? So, you know, that's great. Um, but I still want it to be natural. Um, but am I going to hate myself if, I, if that doesn't happen for mm-hmm. me? No. I'm totally fine in the body that I'm in. Um, I just recognize, like, it's okay to also want to change stuff, too. And I don't yeah. want to feel bad about that. I just know that it's not from a place of I'm trying to do it for other people. It's really just for myself, you yeah. know? So I think that was the biggest step was finally reaching out for support, um, not only through a sensuality coach, but also through therapy of like, how do I be okay with me? Um, and not, you know, it didn't start out like radical. Oh my God. I think Taylor's a shit. It started out with like, you know, I think Taylor's okay. Yeah. And being good with just the neutrality of it because if we aim immediately for I'm going to run around and be this big, confident person, you know, that's how I feel like you see some of these big personalities end up in such a deep depression Mm -hmm. because people latch onto that so quickly that we never really got to see them just be okay. Yeah. And then get a little bit more. Okay. And a little bit more. Okay. And a little bit more. And I think because I started doing that, um, people started taking notice. Um, I started getting attention in ways that I, you know, not even like from an attractive standpoint of just like people are gravitating to me because I'm operating for what feels good to me and what feels right. Yeah. And I'm not hiding myself anymore. I'm not, you know, um, I realized I just love people. And I tried to hide that for so long of like, 
I truly just love to care for people and I don't want to feel ashamed about that. And mm-hmm. if me crying because I'm watching a really good anime or movie or whatever makes me soft, whatever, yeah. I still jack you up. Like, try me. <laughs> you know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Like, it's, it's not a matter of, you know, if I can, it's like, I will. But it's just kind of people having to disassociate softness with meaning weakness. Yeah. And that's not it at all. You know, I can be just as soft as I am strong. Um, and so it is it really is a deep journey. And I think the biggest thing that helped outside of that support system is not surrounding myself with stuff that re, um, re-triggered that. So mm-hmm. my Instagram, um, I had to, to, to just pull out a lot of stuff yeah, from like Fitzbo accounts and all this stuff like that, of like seeing bodies that I wanted to have that we're not even the same height. So it's mm-hmm. kind of impossible to even have that, you know, stuff like that. Anything that made me feel like I don't feel good about myself because I feel like I need to spend the money so I can just look like that. Like if it's, I want to spend the money cause I think that looks like a great workout and I want to challenge myself. Cool. Um, so purging social media, purging, even the shows that I watch. Um, I used to love reality TV shows. Love and hip hop gives me a nice little ride Mm -hmm. all the time. But the way that they portray black women was hard for me because I'm like, okay, well, I need to look like that. That's, that's what I need to do. Right. That's what's going to get me the attention. And it's just like, no, no, that that's not it. So I had to move that away. You know, all of those kind of reality shows where it's just women having to over-exaggerate themselves to exist, I had to remove it. Yeah. Um, and it also worked with people. You know, I had to remove some people of like, hey, you say, you talk to me kind of foul about just being me. Mm-hmm. And I get it's all jokes, but it's it, it's not cool anymore. Like, I got to stop. I'm, I'm out, you know? And yeah. so um, being willing to to go down that path and uh, face myself, I think the the one thing that I did before I even got to a coach was just standing and staring at myself in the mirror Mm. and not like running. (laughs) That is such a, such a good, powerful point that you just mentioned because so often, um, I mean, I've been there, but even clients that I work with, sometimes it's like you go to the shower and you put a, a towel on. And the last thing you want is to just see yourself naked in the mirror because all you can do is like pick out the flaws. And so that right there, what you said is that is probably one of the hardest, but like most powerful things that you can do. To like, I love being naked. Being yeah. naked is great. Yeah. It's so great. Like I have my pajamas just to feel good when I like want to be cute around the house most yeah. of the time, but I sleep naked most of the time. Yeah. Like if I'm showering and I get out, you know, the towel is really just to like prevent the puddle. <laughs> and then I like get to a halfway dry state and then I put, I put the towel. Like yeah. I, make myself stare at myself I in love all that. forms, you know, because, and I make eye contact with myself. Yeah. That was another big one. Not wow. just looking at my body, but making eye contact with myself because I remember doing um, a visualization meditation um, once and she was like, see yourself doing this. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I can't see my face. I was, tr- I was creating an image of myself in my mind yeah. from everything that I've absorbed, but I'm like, we don't see ourselves. Mm all the time, right? We're, yeah. we're always in this first person perspective. So when I see mirrors and things, I look at myself. Yeah. And 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 I make myself do that because I want to remind and I don't want to forget what I look like. Um I don't know how they did it back in the day without them. I'm just like getting the water and like, "Oh, yeah. that's me." You know, like they weren't 
worried about that, you know? Yeah. And so it's, it's hard because I used to tell my partner, I'm like, I can't see myself the way you see me. And it would make me sad because mm-hmm. I'm like, you, you say I'm beautiful. You say I'm all these things. And I'm like, I don't see that. Why can't yeah. I feel that? And part of it was just like, oh, because you're not looking at yourself. Wow. Maybe you should look at yourself. That's so powerful. I love yeah. that you just said that. So was it a big part? Was it just working with a sensuality coach? Like did they take you through all of those things? Because those are some stuff that like I wouldn't even think about, you know? Like Yeah. She literally had me write a letter to my breast. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. Not even kidding. Yeah. Of like thanking them, appreciating them, apologizing, you know, and, yeah. and I've done it with a similar, another coach, um, more on the business side, but she works specifically with empaths where she was like, you know, um, write a letter to your inner child. Mm-hmm. And she literally tells you to um, put an envelope and go drop it off. You don't have to put an address, just go drop it off. And you pour into that letter all your hopes, dreams, failures, you know, anything you want to apologize to mm. your your child self for and just send it out and you'd be surprised the energy that comes back. Wow. And I, to this day, tell people to do it too, because even if you don't send it out, mm-hmm. I think we don't spend enough time. I, I think we're getting there, but we don't spend enough time realizing how much we inflict our own pain. Yeah. Because we don't, we don't think we're worthy. And that's terrible, you know, because everybody is. And so writing things to yourself, doing things to yourself is such a powerful way to connect. I never thought I could actually fall in love with myself, Mm -hmm. right? I thought I was like, no, you fall in love with the partner, you know, or or a friend or, you know, that that's, that's no, there's a relationship that you have to have with yourself. And my first inkling of that was my sister years ago. She was like, yeah, I take myself on dates. I'm like, what? Like, yeah. Like, I take myself on dates. I go to restaurants. I order myself a drink. I get dessert. I do the whole thing by myself. I'll take myself to the movies. I'll go see a a museum or whatever. I take myself on dates. I turn my phone off, take myself on dates. Wow. And that used to scare the hell out of me. I was like, (laughs) by yourself? (laughs) Just sitting at the bar by yourself? Yeah. Right? And it was about a year and a half ago that I actually went to the bar by myself. You know, so That's it's awesome. like our little, you know, favorite dive bar. Yeah. And I was so nervous because I'm like, man, if you see a woman chilling at the bar by herself, she's either waiting, you know, for somebody or you think she's a call girl or something mm-hmm. or you think like, oh, my God, she's just a super depressed person and nobody wants to be around her. And it's just like, I want to break that. So I went and sat at the bar myself. I ended up making friends. That's so – you know what? I don't even think I've done – like I think unless I'm on vacation or like traveling, I don't. I don't think I've ever taken myself out on a dinner date or like to the mm-hmm. bar. <laughs> yep. Get real. Take yourself out on a date. Yeah. And when people ask, like I think of that, uh, that scene in Eat, Pray, Love where she just goes to the little Italian place and just sits outside. Yeah. She's just with her, with her newspaper or whatever and just enjoying her wine and her food. And I'm like, and you see that in, in movies all the time for Italian or, or French women mm-hmm. where they're just like, they're just enjoying. Cause it's just like, cause they love themselves. Yeah. Cause they want to treat themselves. And it, it, we feel like we have to be attached to somebody to enjoy those things. It's like, no, you don't. Yeah. You really don't. And so when I thought of it as I don't see myself, I started to do things that made me see myself. Mm. Whether that's, you know, I we chilling at home most of the time, I'm still gonna get up and put my makeup on or, you know, yeah. even if it's just light, even if it's just a little mascara, even if it's just putting some lashes or whatever, like, um, I'm gonna put on clothes like I'm going somewhere. Yeah. Right. Because it makes me feel good and half my wardrobe wasted away last year. So I feel like I should wear it, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I wore a dress that I wore on a trip to Vegas with some friends 
and recorded one of my podcast episodes in it. That's Did my awesome. hair, everything. Because yeah. it, it makes me feel good. And then my mood got better. Yeah. And even though I changed out of it later, it was just like, but now I'm motivated. Now what else can I tackle? Whatever, what, you know, what other things can I take on for the day? Mm-hmm. Because I just did it for me and it made me feel great. And we have to get to a place where it's not about everybody else. Yeah. You know, it's about what, what does it for you? What makes you feel good? What makes you want to go stand in the mirror and look at yourself and say, damn, I'm fine. Yeah. I did that. You know, like what makes you do that? You know? And so it was just figuring out those actions for me mm-hmm. and doing them regularly. And I still have my moments. I had a moment like two weekends ago where I was on the bathing suit. And I was like, I'm not fat. I'm not fat. I'm not fat. You know? And even my partner's like, you're not, you're not. I'm like, I know I'm having moments. Slap, you yeah. know, get it out of me, you know, but I have that foundation with myself yeah. to bring me out of it. And he noticed for sure. So I was like, all right, well, clearly me being more confident in myself is uh, helping out a lot of things. So I should do that more often. What else yeah. is happening? Opportunities are happening. All of, you know, I'm getting reached out to and I'm thinking nobody's paying attention to me. Like, what? You know? And so, um, yeah, it just starts with just just go look at yourself. Yeah, I think that's such a key piece that like so often can be forgotten about just that it it's all starts with ourselves, right? And like whether it be the, our body image or just how or like a, the job that we have, like as soon as you can do something that makes – that lights you up, it like just flows into everything else that you're doing. Yeah. It's so yeah, important. Sure. Um, what about like there's something that I – so for the letters, was it the letters that – there's something that I was going to ask you on – Yeah. So, because when I think about, and I think it's such like, I'm going to, when I get off this, I want to like write myself a letter because I think it's such a beautiful thing. Um, But when I think of like my own body image struggles from way back, I think if I, if someone had told me like, okay, write all the things that you love about or like whatever it is, write yourself a letter. I think it'd be really hard for me because I don't know if I would have believed everything that I was trying to write, you know? So did like, what's your your advice on that? Like when you were writing letters, did you believe all of this stuff or did you come from a place of like, I'm just going to write the things that I believe? (laughs) Like I wrote everything. I wrote the stuff that I doubted. I wrote the stuff that I wanted to believe, Mm -hmm. but write out like I'm admitting I'm struggling for this. Like it's you, you know yourself in your head. And I think sometimes we get into a spot of trying to convince ourselves by saying, okay, well, if I just say it, if I just wish it, if I just repeat affirmations all day long, it'll come. Mm -hmm. And not acknowledging like, I don't feel this right now though. Yeah. And that's okay. I still love myself. Yeah. That's a big piece, you know? And and, uh, there was an exercise that, uh, that I did once with a, with a, you know, again, a different coach. And she was like, you know, whenever you start to think about, the things that you're struggling with or the feelings that you have, you know, it's kind of like um, you either can do it out loud or you can write it down. It's just like, like a stream of conscious. Mm. Um, Like, you know, Hey, I'm feeling really crappy about my body today because I just want to look like this. And even though I don't, it's really hard to come to terms with that. And you take a deep breath and that's okay. And I still love myself. And you do that over and over and over again, because you're giving yourself permission to feel what you feel. But also reminding yourself it's okay. Yeah. And and that doesn't mean you're any less lovable. So when it comes to these letters, pour into it whatever you want. Because nobody else is seeing this but you unless yeah. you decide to share, right? 
So write everything that you're doubting, write everything that you're afraid of, write everything that you, you know, want to see and that you're striving for. And, you know, um, again, if you go like the the inner child, you know, thing, it's like, hey, I really wanted to do this for you. And I'm sorry that I didn't, mm-hmm. you know, hey, I, I really thought that we would be here by now, but we're not. Hey, I'm sorry. I think one of the things I wrote was like, I'm sorry I took play away from you, you know, and, and I didn't um, do more to to lean into that childlike atmosphere of like just being in awe of stuff all the time. Like, I'm so sorry for that. But hey, I'm going to work on this, like pour whatever it is that yeah. you want into it, but just get it out mm-hmm. and then read it back to yourself. And if you need to, like you can leave it on your nightstand or, you know, put it wherever to be able to engage in that. But it's that's the beauty of doing stuff for yourself is you get to make the rules. Yeah. You get to decide, you know, how you want that to affect you. But I personally think that it's important to say the truth mm-hmm. for you. And if the truth is right now, I don't feel good about myself. I don't like how I look. I don't like this. I don't like that. I want to change. And then, at least for me, I noticed I started responding to myself. Yeah. Well, if you want to change, then how do you want to do that? What's the best way to do that? Because I started to see this spiral Mm. of just deep, dark thoughts. And it was just like, I needed to acknowledge that they were there. Yeah. Because the minute I saw them, I was like, ooh, okay. Cool to feel this. Thank you, self, for sharing this. Now, how can we get out of it? Now, what can what step can we take? It doesn't have to be drastic. Um, I like to think of something that my mom taught me when I first started eating international food, right? Mm-hmm. And one thing that I used to do is obviously let my eyes get super big and be like, oh, it's all the things, <laughs> right? Yeah. But she'd be like, she would get really mad at me if I would take a big helping of something, take a bite, and I'm like, oh, that's gross, Blah, spit it out, yeah. right? And a lot of Asian cultures, that's a huge sign of disrespect. Okay. So she taught me, she's like, try everything once. Don't turn your face at it simply because it looks like it's not good. Mm-hmm. Right. Or maybe it might smell funny. Um, if you ever, anybody ever cooked bamboo shoots in a house, it is not a pleasant smell, but it tastes <laughs> damn good, you know, but try it just once mm-hmm. and do just a little bite. Don't take a whole bunch. Just do a little bite. Yeah. See how you feel about it. And if it's good, then get some more. Mm-hmm. And guess what? You don't have to take the hugest helping. Get a little bit more, eat that. Are you full yet? No? Then get some more. Then get some more. And hey, if you take that little bite and it turns out it's not your favorite, it was you only took a little bit and you're not being rude to anybody. You tried it and you were well, you could definitively say, This isn't for me. Yeah. And I think that's exactly what we should do with ourselves. Yeah. Try a little bit of something. Don't dive in head first and consume everything and then realize you made yourself sick because it's like oh this is actually gross just do a little bit Mm -hmm. and then if it works great if it doesn't then you can try something else yeah and so that has been kind of a guiding excuse me a guiding factor for me um even in you know pursuing entrepreneurship and stuff like that i didn't jump into everything right away it's like i'm gonna try this first and if i seem to be rocking with it cool now i can add something else and try something else and so um yeah, man, just date yourself. Yeah, like I you love would a that. Lover, you know. Yeah, that's so that's so powerful, and I think that's so needed for people to hear, no matter like what it is that they're working on, because that is just so important. All of that. Um, I know that you were working corporate before, and then you transitioned into healing in in hindsight. Sight is. Was diabetes a big part of that for you? Like how did uh, healing in hindsight unfold and 
transform into like what it is right now? Healing in hindsight, I started it the year I got diagnosed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it was supposed to be a blog because I do love writing. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I'm good at that. And, th and that's when, you know, health and wellness blogs were like mm -hmm. on fire everywhere. You know, podcasts were, were still kind of making its rise. Um, and I was in the midst of a career change. I was temping actually at the time and my contract ended. So I was looking for work. And I'm yeah. like, well, what if this was my job? You know, because I was looking for other people that were around my age that were diabetics. Um, at the time, type two, you know, I was running into type one folks and I'm like, oh no, you know, a lot of them were diagnosed really young. So I'm like, we can't see it eye to eye. Yeah. You're taking insulin. I'm not, you know, it's kind of similar. Like I had way wrong ideas about it, you know, than I do today. Um, but I'm like, you know, what about the space for like millennial type twos? Like, I know we out here, I know we're all out here struggling to do our thing and, yeah. you know, be torn between tradition and carving our own paths or whatever. So you know, I'm not seeing that space and there's blogs everywhere and websites everywhere. And, you know, Instagram was just really kind of picking up and I'm like, but I'm not finding anybody. So I'm not one to shy away from trying stuff and putting myself out there. I tried for a bit. I was like, no, no. Cause then everybody's going to look at you funny. Like oh, someone else trying to start a blog. Oh, you know, like all that kind of stuff, yeah. but I, I couldn't ignore it. I could not ignore it. And so, um, with the help of my friend, like got the name down she uh, the logo that i that you see to this day that was her gift uh mm -hmm. birthday gift to me um and you know i started to work on it and be like okay this will be my side hustle but then i was picking up in my corporate career you know i was getting promotions and doing all these great things and so i kind of let it go by the wayside and in a way i did it because it also like healing in hindsight is my biggest accountability buddy mm-hmm because my mission and everything behind it is, you know, yes, that journey for me to get to that holistic management state, um, if that's meant for me. I, I, I want to challenge myself to try, but I've, I've come to terms like I'm okay if I, if I have to be medication-based, yeah. if that keeps me healthy, okay, you know, but it was my accountability buddy at the time because I'm like, I can't, I tried to fake it. So I'm like, I can't write about stuff that I'm not doing. I can't yeah. sit here and say, I figured out how to not be on metformin anymore and I really haven't, you mm -hmm. know, because- this is medical stuff on top of that. So do I need to like start citing sources? Oh, I hated research papers. Like, you know, like <laughs> yeah. I was good at them. I just hated them, you know? Like, yeah. so it's just like, should I do that? And it became this overwhelming thing over my head because I knew I wasn't doing anything right by my diabetes. Yeah. Um, and so it became easy. It's like, oh, well, I'm working full time. Oh, I'm, I'm climbing the corporate ladder. Like I don't have time. And so the last couple of years, I was working for a company that I really loved. Um, I'm, I'm love startups. So that's been majority of my resume. Mm -hmm. um, I climbed really fast. Actually, I got promoted twice in a year and I was managing a team of people. And um, my background is in training. I love training people. Um, I love the onboarding process. Uh, I scrutinize every onboarding process I go through. Yeah. So I'm just like, <laughs> Were we given enough? Was this engaging enough? You know, all of that. Yeah. So I I was, in my mind, I was going to be somebody's, you know, L&D director. That's what I wanted to do, learning mm -hmm. and development director. Um, and then, you know, the pandemic hit. Yeah. And right before the pandemic really got serious in the States, my company went through a round of layoffs. And as it was going through a round of layoffs, there was restructuring of, you know, different departments. And so the team of managers uh, that I was on, uh, they realized with the restructure that my role literally was just dissolving. Like it wasn't being moved somewhere. It's like, we're just closing this role out. It, it doesn't exist anymore. After I got off my 30th birthday vacation, might I add, I came back 
already had my team freaking out because they sat through the the town hall with all the layoffs and they're blowing me up like am I losing my job I'm like wait I don't even know what's going on I'm on vacation what you know and then I come back my boss goes on vacation and so I sit down with my director and he's like yeah I'm like, oh, you're having a really shitty day, aren't you? He's like, yeah, because I got to do this about eight more times. Oh, no. Like, geez. So <clears throat> my role was dissolving. And I pretty much had about two months to figure out my next move. Um, because I was getting laid off, they were willing to, you know, give me a severance, all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, or I could find a role within the company and I would still have to internally apply all that. So... I tried to go that route. I found a role that I could have been on with one of my old managers who I would I would have loved working for again, but in my heart and even after I talked to my boss, she was like, it's time to get out. And I'm like, yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Because managing people is, it's a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's rewarding. I love my team. I'm still friends with a lot of them to this day. Um, a lot of them, a lot of us, we all started together. So it was like kind of weird being their manager. Yeah. It's like they saw, you know, we all started in kind of the yeah. same position. But even still, like, helping them reach what they wanted, helping them um, wanting to get in leadership themselves. And people looked at me like, you got promoted twice in one year. What did you do? I'm like, I got really good at my job. And then I'm I'm a selfless person. So I overdid what I was supposed to. Yeah. You know, um, I'm not saying that's what everybody should do. I don't think any, anybody should just slave away, but it's what I did. Um, so all that to say, when I left, I did jump into another job and I'm, in hindsight, no yeah. pun intended, um, I realized I shouldn't have. Yeah. Because that was when I was like, you know what? This is the perfect time to do something with this. And even though I failed with the blog, I was like, you know what? You talk about this all the time. Why not do a podcast? Duh. You're, yeah. You've lived in home studios your whole life. Duh. So I started the podcast back in August while I was starting this new job. Mm-hmm. And as I went through a year of working it, it's just like... I. I found myself working on this way more than my actual work. Yeah. I'm not one. I don't put out shitty work. I'm not about to sit here and be up in somebody's company and not do for them what I was, you know, signed on to do. My health also started to to trip up a bit unrelated to diabetes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did have some, like I was having really bad migraines and a lot of stuff that was going on. So I had taken a leave, um, a medical leave. And when I came back, I was just like, yeah, I took this job because I was scared. And I should have been going for training and manager roles. And I went for entry level because I, I know how to do that. I know yeah. how to do customer support, right? But it was just like, I I don't know if this is a good fit for me. And my HR team was so great, you know, because they didn't fire me or anything. They actually, it kind of looks like a layoff. Yeah. Technically, you know. Um, and so I was like, you know, they're like, we'll help you transition out. Like, we get it. We don't want people to sit here and suffer in silence. And that's when I knew I was like, okay. And I told my partner, I was like, I think I'm going to quit. And I had plenty of savings. And I'm like, if I don't try this full on, like just full time going into the stuff that I've been sitting on for so long that I've been wanting to create, um, I'm going to look back and I'm going to be like, I regret it. And I I don't want to do that. So yeah, here I am. That is so amazing. And I'm just like, it almost seems like everything you've you've done up until now has been just part of your path. Like it all is kind of coming together. So it's so cool to see that and so cool to see all of the amazing things that you're doing. And I'm so glad that our paths crossed. I really feel so grateful about that. Um, But I think it's a great place to wrap it up. And 
I know that you have your program coming out in at the end of June, right? The body yeah. acceptance. So how I mean, how can people find that more information on that? And then also, how can people connect with you? Yeah, so um, Instagram is where I am. Uh, so at just Taylor Danielle, Danielle with one uh, one L D A N I E L E. Um, that is my personal one, and that is where I'm doing everything with uh, my new program, Expedition U, Journey to Your Best Self. Um, and it is basically kind of taking what we talked about yeah. in that journey to appreciating myself um, inside and out, and wanting to share that with other women because I feel like we're all worthy to be ourselves, mm-hmm. and we should be able to exist in spaces and not shrink our personalities nor you know our bodies honestly simply to appease someone else and so I will be opening the doors for founding members um, at the end of the month and Instagram is the best place to find out more and you can feel free to DM me okay perfect and you also have a podcast healing in hindsight so everyone be sure to check that out Taylor thank you so much I feel so grateful to have this conversation with you today thank you for having me this was really fun Mm, I hope that this episode is exactly what you needed to hear today. Thank you so much for tuning in. And if you do enjoy this podcast, please don't forget to subscribe because that way you won't miss out on weekly episodes and bonus content. And once again, all the links and how to connect with Danielle, everything is linked in the show notes. Thank you so much. I will talk to you very soon. Bye for now.